now. Is there anyone out there who wants to go fast? Anybody? I want to go fast. He's a freak. He's a fast killer. He's a fast killer. I feel the need. The need for speed. He's really, really fast. I mean, he's so fast. He makes fast people look not fast. I got it. He's fast. Welcome to another episode of the Speed Podcast. I'm Steve Breidenstine, your director of coaching here at TC Boost. Um, really excited to have our guest on today, uh, Nick Roach. Uh, he's a linebacker in the NFL. One of the first athletes that I was able to shadow when I started coming to TC Boost and Tommy, the, our owner threw me into his workout because he thought it'd be fun and I couldn't walk for a week <laughs> afterwards. Uh, and over, over the next seven years or so, actually started to become friends with Nick, uh, and his family, which is really fortunate. Uh, but now Nick moved away. So he's out in California these days. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to kind of reconnect. Uh, just going to talk about kind of his experience through, through the draft process. Um, his career experiences with with coaches and team leaders. Uh, just give us some insights of what that's like uh, for somebody that's gone through all the stages. So, Nick, thank you so much for being on, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, man. It's really good. Good to catch up. Yeah. So if you could just kind of give uh, a quick recap of kind of where you came from, where you went to uh, as far as playing career-wise, just for mm -hmm. anybody that kind of uh, doesn't know, then just get a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, man, I was born and raised right up the street from you guys in Milwaukee. I grew up just outside of downtown and really grew up playing pretty much basketball. We were more of a basketball family, but as I got into high school, I just started to see that football was probably going to be more realistic in terms of, you know, possibly get, being able to get scholarships, you know, things like that. And so I started playing tackle football my sophomore year of high school. Uh, we were atrocious, my high school football team. <laughs> think, uh, we probably won in a hundred year history, maybe 10 games. And so uh, we were, we were struggling, but all that being said, ended up getting uh, two offers. I had one to Northern Illinois and then Northwestern. And so, you know, honestly, with no real plans of, of playing past college, I just figured that Northwestern was a better bet in terms of education and all that. And so ended up going to Northwestern and played four years there. Um, didn't start playing defense until my sophomore year. I was playing more, mostly special teams uh, my true freshman year. And then, yeah, had, you know, an up and down career there. Had some pretty big injuries. Uh, we lost, you know, our head coach, Coach Randy Walker, passed away going into my senior season. Uh, so that was obviously a pretty big deal. And so uh, finished up. With Coach Fitz there, uh, got hurt my, at the end of my senior year, but still ended up getting an opportunity to get signed to the Chargers uh, my rookie year as a free agent. And uh, after about 10 weeks on the practice squad in San Diego, the Bears signed me and then was able to fortunately find a home there for six years in Chicago. Uh, when Lovey and the whole staff, uh, you know, kind of got – got sweeped out of town there in 2012 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the opportunity to sign with the Ra- with the Raiders, and so I finished up my last two years in uh, in Oakland, and here I am. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I think that it's always kind of cool to kind of just really hear the the journey a little bit uh, of coaches and of athletes because it's never just a it's very rare to just have that. Yep, this is how it went. Just pop, 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 pop. There's always kind of a little journey yeah. to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like this time of the year, um, we have our, our newest rec- class of combine prep guys in, and I wanted to kind of have a chance to kind of talk to you about like that process because yours was unique. That we have a couple guys this year that have had injuries towards the end of the season, uh, competing mm-hmm. in those those last games, trying to get a bowl win right before the bowl games, uh, the Big Ten yeah. Championship game now. Uh, and so what kind of – what was your mindset as you were kind of coming out of college, going into that training period before kind of the pro days and combines? Sure. Uh, honestly, man, I just remember having absolutely no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you see, obviously, the NFL all the time and you hear – you know, on all over the sports networks and on the news and the games are always on. But like when you are going to enter it for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, it's just really like a, a lot like when you go from, say, like eighth grade to high school. You know, it's just it's like unknown fantasy world, you know, that you kind of know exists, but you have no idea what the rules are, who's there, uh, what it's going to be like. And so I, I don't remember. I wasn't overwhelmed, I think, by that, but I just know. I knew I was on the verge of something that I had never, ever experienced. And it was going to be completely different, you know? Yeah. And when you were going through the process of being kind of injured going in, mm-hmm. what was your injury If for anybody that doesn't know? Yeah. So my at the end of my senior year, I think we had three or four games left. It was actually homecoming. Uh, it was senior day. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Michigan State in early third quarter. I uh, was covering a punt the returner started to to make some pretty good yardage. And so I had, I was the wing. So when I turned back upfield to chase him to get a good angle, I got blindsided. Um, I think by the guy that uh, forced the punt that tried to block okay. it. And so I don't know. However, I got twisted up. I ended up breaking my ankle. And so, okay. uh, they, they had to do surgery. So I got a plate and I think seven or eight screws, uh, the next day, uh, to try to just get it fixed up as soon as possible yeah mm-hmm. and so coming from that it's going to limit you as far as what you can do speed wise as far as what you can do lifting wise you're gonna have to rehab that and one of the biggest tests that everyone was always putting up on this pedestal is the 40 yard dash do you remember yeah, how, how yeah. you felt kind of with that notion of like i i know i need to run a certain time because that's what people really like but right now i'm limited mm-hmm. how did you kind of feel like you were able to deal with that mentally that can be really tough yeah. and overwhelming for guys Absolutely. Yeah. You know what, man? I think that the way that I saw it and the way really that it was explained to me too, um, after having started a relationship like with an agent who was actually going to represent me, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as the testing is good and if you do well, I think it will help you out. If you do poorly, it can sort of serve as a knock against you. The reason that you're getting scouted in the first place is because of your game film, yeah. you know? So regardless of how the the 40 would go or how my vertical jump would go, which was terrible, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the main reason that you're even being asked to run those tests is because mm-hmm. of how you play football. And yeah. so trying not to get too caught up in the the circus act of it and really just 
say, hey, I'm going to do what I got to do, what I can do, and just kind of let your play speak for itself. And when you were able, were you able to perform just a pro day or did you have to go to private workouts for teams uh, based on just not being able to physically get ready yet? Right. Yeah. So what ended up happening, I was able to do the pro day, but I think I remember, and Tom, Tom will probably remember this too, but I must've been maybe two or three weeks before the pro day. I was feeling really good. And I think we were just practicing through some forties and I kind of strained, tweaked my hamstring. And of course that was perfectly wrong timing, but uh, yeah. so going into the pro day, I was sort of on a half healed hamstring. And mm -hmm. so I really had the mindset of just do whatever I can do and, and do it as best I can. I mean, there's nothing, there was nothing left for me to do besides that, you know? So I remember I lifted, I did the bench, uh, I did the vertical jump. And then we, as soon as we went outside to run forties, you know, warmed up and everything. And then literally 10 yards into my first attempt, I, I blew my hamstring pretty good. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, and so didn't get to do any of the other like three cone or position drills. Uh, so that's kind of how it went. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I mean, like that's a pretty tough pro day for sure. Yeah. Right. It was not ideal by any stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, immediately, you know, Tom was there watching the whole thing. Coach Fitz came over. Yeah. And just kind of reiterated like, look, man, you know, you're going to get a chance to, yeah. to show what you can, what your play looks like. And so rehab, get everything healthy as it can be. And, you know, you're, you're going to still have an opportunity to, to show what you can do. And that's really all you had to go on, you know. Yeah. And then after the pro day, did you have opportunities to go in for private workouts with teams? Was that as uh, popular kind of as is now? Like a lot of our guys yeah. now will have to fly all over the country every now and then to kind of sure. do workouts or coaches will come in. Right. Yeah. I know it was not, it didn't seem to be at least either it wasn't as popular or it just wasn't my experience. Yeah. Uh, because after my, after my pro day, I, I went on, I think seven team visits. Yeah. Uh, but I never had, I never had to work out. I was just okay. meeting with, meeting with coordinators and coaches talking through, you know, strategy and, and whatnot. So more interview, sit down interview more than workouts. Yeah. And you're able to just kind of, this is like the hardest thing I think for so many athletes is not to, to just kind of crumble underneath. Cause that's so far, like, as you've described the process, that's a lot that is gone in like a negative <laughs> way. What do you, what do you right. think was able to kind of help you stay pretty positive? Was it having the, the coaches mm -hmm. and your agent kind of just reinforcing with coach Fitz and Tommy, what helped you right. guys stay positive through that process? Um, I think there's the way that I viewed the opportunity. You know, I never, I never saw it as something that was owed to me because of how good I was or, uh, it was never something that as a young kid, you know, I always dreamed of being in this situation. For me, it was, uh, something that I just, I had the opportunity to pursue. Uh, and so I was just really trying to make, make the best of whatever came to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel like the, the opportunity owed me anything. Does that make sense? Um, and that. so really when things, when things weren't going well, there's just kind of another, another, um, uh, another hurdle, I guess, so to speak, because I think I was used to, I was used to just, um, kind of putting my head down in those situations in a, in a good way, just putting my head down and going to work. Yeah. Uh, because I had so many injuries in college that were, you know, multiple month recoveries from surgeries and that type of thing. So it was really just another one of those instances. Yeah. And so then after the draft, then signed by the chargers, so what was what was that kind of feeling like for you when that that call mm -hmm. came? 
It was uh, it was surreal, bro. Honestly, yeah. I, you know, you work toward the, that moment uh, so much, but you actually you, you you have no reference for for knowing what it's going to feel like. You know, when you're like, yeah, we want you to come and and play for our team. You know, it's yeah. like a, like wow. So I just show up there, or <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And so um, it was really cool. I just remember my whole family was down watching the draft. And I joke about it because I was not projected really to get drafted, yeah. Uh, especially after having an injury and all that. And so I don't know why they wanted to come down and just watch everybody else get drafted. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so they they sat at the at my apartment for two days, and then yeah, like shortly afterwards, we got a couple of phone calls, and it just ended up working out that that San Diego was going to be probably the best chance mm -hmm. for me to make a club at that point. And yeah, yeah, no, I love it. And like once you once you get to camp, this is the stuff that like we, we're always really excited to learn about even more is just the the insights of coaches uh, leadership in those situations. And as somebody now that's gone through, as you're describing high, high school, three years at Northwestern with one coach, Coach Fitz comes in your senior year, going to Chargers, going to the Bears, going to Oakland to finish it. Um, what were kind of some of the, the things that made a great locker room experience at those different places. Yeah, that's good. I, um, I mean, first and foremost, I believe it was like in terms of player, you know, your teammate experience in the locker room is just on the relationships. You mm -hmm. know, the better that you personally get along outside of football with the people that you are, are playing with and working with, uh, you know, that, that a hundred percent translates to your performance as a team on the field. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can manufacture, of course, because relationships happen organically and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's just a lot of factors that go into it, but I think that you'll see consistent themes where the teams that have the most success typically also have the teammates that get along the best. Yeah. Um, and it's just, there's something about that element of friendship and trust. Uh, that goes along with how you work with somebody. Yeah. Uh, I think that's awesome. So I, think, I mean, that's, okay. that's something that like a lot of kind of the talking heads will, will talk about almost saying that it's not as important as you're saying, you know, like they right. say like yeah. a player that's known to cause issues in the locker room is still worth having them in because they're so good. But you would say, would mm -hmm. you say that like, that's not necessarily true? Absolutely. I mean, I think we can all, we all have examples of where you see, for example, any particular team in any particular sport, you know, mm -hmm. if they have um, an identity of being a consistently successful club, mm -hmm. you can probably look at the amount of transition that takes place on that roster. And mm -hmm. I bet that the teams that have the most success have the least amount of volatility in mm -hmm. terms of who's on the team. I think that, you know, on the other side of things, if you look at the teams that constantly are just putting together groups and trying to almost, you know, throw stuff at a board and see what sticks mm -hmm. uh, in terms of who they have on the team, and then you rotate that constantly, 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 just looking for the best match, there is no magic pill. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no magic trick to it. You have to have some type of continuity, some type of consistency with who's there so that then you can build. And it may take time for sure. Um, but I think that that there's just no there's no way around it. Yeah. How how have you felt with in, in the college setting? It would be like your athletic director and then the mm -hmm. owners of the the teams. Do you you find that there's some commonalities between kind of 
great experiences there or maybe off experiences that maybe from the very top down that came down? Yeah, I think, you know, and anytime you're talking about like leadership um, and you're in, and the leadership is what is going to influence the, you know, the culture or the output, mm -hmm. uh, it has to start with whatever culture they set, they set in place. You know, yeah. if you sign, sign up to a place or you enroll in a place and the culture is, um, is something that's, that's not healthy for relationships to be formed between those that are carrying out the work, then it's probably, it's just not going to work. I think that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty much across the board outside of sports, inside of sports. Uh, but if you are an organization who is going to build off of, you know, trusting the people to do the job that you ask them to do. Uh, so you don't get into these weird, like micromanaging or in our context, overcoaching situations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that I'll, that goes a really long way because, you know, how, how would it feel? Or I know how I would feel if I was in a locker room and I never actually felt like the people that were training me felt like I was good enough to do the work or constantly had to remind me that I need to do this or that, you know, instead of giving me the freedom to learn from my own mistakes mm. and just, you know, just those types of, of natural things that people need when they're learning how to do something. Yeah. So. No, I think that's awesome. How, how did you mm. feel about kind of the relationships with the different coaches at each level? Do you, do you feel like one position kind of always has a little bit more of an impact? Because you have kind of your head coach um, mm. in the situation of kind of football, mostly is that you have a position coach. Uh, in other yep. sports, you might have just a defensive specialist or an offensive specialist, and then maybe you're, even your strength and conditioning coach. Do you think the interaction of them together is one coach that you're seeing more often than other ones of more of an impact? Yeah, um, that's a good, that's really good. I mean, I think as one of, one of my coaches put it, um, I believe when I was in Oakland is that everybody in the locker room should be an extension of the head coach is mm -hmm. the ideal situation. I think in football, so head coach, you know, is tone setter. He's the vision caster. Uh, the CEO, I guess, probably for business, he is the one that's that's setting the sights for everybody. And so really everybody else's job uh, and their contribution is to best digest that vision and just put it into their role. And so, um, you know, the teams that can do that the best. And, you know, of course, there's a lot to that because the coach has to be able to communicate clearly. Um, and then the people that you, that are underneath them that you work directly with. Like for me, my linebacker coach, yeah, he had to be able to translate that to what that means for us as linebackers, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that whenever though in football, in the football context, your position mm -hmm. coach for sure is, you know, your, your person, you know, you're leaning on them to, to filter things and to understand how it applies to you. Um, so there's a lot of, kind of like down the line translation that needs to take place. And for football, that's for sure with your position. Yeah. Now in, in my, my realm of the speed strength, uh, conditioning type feel, what, um, what, how would that coach impact you along the way? Cause I think that there's a big discussion right now. It's kind of a hot topic in collegiate sports about the importance of strength and conditioning coaches. Um, with the yep. amount of hours they spend with the athletes, the impact they can make on these athletes. Um, what would you to kind of describe your relationship with your, your S&C coaches from college into the pro level? Yeah, we had, you know, what well, I think for sports and 
or strength and conditioning coaches. I think that it's a bit of a, an untapped resource at times mm-hmm. because <clears throat> I think that the relationship that players have with their strength and conditioning coaches can really give them a pretty significant uh, boost when it comes to their performance. And what I mean by that is, you know, of course, you have to listen to, you know, your position coach to learn how your technique should be or whatever. Uh, and, you know, technically, I guess on paper, all you really need from your strength and conditioning coach is to know how to get stronger, or faster, or more agile. Yeah. But if that person is able to, to take their role a step further and be able to really input things about, you know, work ethic, to be able mm-hmm. to input things about team culture and community. And if they're able to, um, you know, kind of not necessarily, I hate to say go above and beyond, but um, completely fill out the potential role that they could have in a player's life as far as just really, you know, impressing on them the significant uh, opportunity that they have to be competing, you know? So I think that it's a cool space strength and conditioning coaches have to be able to fill in maybe the, the gaps, mm-hmm. uh, their specific sport coaching just isn't intended to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people reference as that, that separator from a, average to good strength and conditioning coach to a elite level strength and conditioning coach. It's very rarely some magic, like numbers of reps and sets. It's always that experience and what they were able to pull out of an athlete in, in the weight room or on the field that meant a lot to them, whether it was actually running or it was just having conversations about life. Um, But there is a huge potential for that. Right. And absolutely. I think in my experience, I think that working with, Tom, for example, and working with you guys, something that that was really helpful for a guy like me was just conf- confidence, you know, belief, you know, that yeah. when I'm training and I'm seeing these improvements, that I'm not only believing that this is going to benefit me on the field, but that I am good enough to be doing what I'm doing or, you know, I yeah. do belong where I'm supposed to be. And so just those simple things that, aff- that you know, affect your psyche and your emotional state. Um, you know, they have such a such an impact, of course, on how you play. And that for sure is a, a perfect spot for the love that a strength coach has for their athletes to be able to, to feel. What what qualities would you say made the, the biggest like positive impact on you as a player from these different coaches that were in your lives? Because we mm-hmm. often will see that some some things are everybody has these qualities. Um, they're really common or others may have this one quality that that's what separates them. What do you think? I know we are just describing a little bit about the impact that a strength coach yeah. can make, but what qualities would you say really describe these coaches? Right. I think, um, the first thing that sticks out to me is if I know that my coach cares about me, regardless of how I play or if I play or, um, you know, what, what times I play well, you know, if I know that off the field and outside of the game that he still actually just cares about me as a person, uh, that goes a long way because that, that then changes the whole way I approach our relationship working out together. Um, so for sure, just knowing that I'm cared for, mm-hmm. it goes a long way. Certainly that's not, that's not uh, mandatory. You know, you can still work out and, and obtain services from people that don't, yeah. that may or may not care about you personally. But I think that if that's there, that can make a big difference. Uh, you know, second to that, 
some of the most impactful things are just trust for me to be able to trust their their experience, even over their knowledge and accreditations. I think, uh, you know, I'm looking for somebody that is not just reading off of some physiology book what I should be doing. You know, I want to yeah. know how many athletes they've seen this work for or if it, you know, how many athletes there are exceptions with, you know, just they've, they've seen enough things uh, to not put me in a box of this is how it works. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Those are probably too big off top. Yeah. I think that 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 last one you mentioned is is something that is rampant right now in our industry is a lot of younger coaches um, want to kind of skip the process of learning from another coach where they're mm. not necessarily programming for an athlete, but they're there side by side coaching the athlete. And we're getting a lot of like philosophy coaches who are like, I read this, I know this right. is best versus right. the 20 year veteran coach who's like, yeah, no, that's, that's right. But over 20 years, I've seen this actually works a little bit better. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's it's a big important. deal. And then I, I love when you said about the cares, regardless of how I play, um, I was, I've been talking to some of the high school athletes, which I, I personally struggled with back in the day uh, of what is your identity as an athlete. Um, and sometimes we as younger athletes, and you, you can elaborate more like the professional level where my entire identity is wrapped up that I played basketball or yeah. I am a football player. And it, it sometimes can go a long way with some of the younger athletes, when I just talk to them, like, what do you want to be beyond that? And simply asking that really opens up a great dialogue. Have you seen that that identity issue continues through college into the pro level sometimes for guys? Oh man. I mean, I think that it's, I would argue that it's amplified, you know, the, mm, yeah. I would argue that it's amplified because, um, it's a two, it's a two edged sword and it's really yeah. deadly because if you imagine a kid, five, six, seven years old, starts playing a sport that they fall in love with. And for the football example, if you make it and you live your dream, the only thing that I'm about is being a football player, playing at the highest level. Even if you beat all the percentages and odds and live your dream, yeah. the statistics still say that you're going to be finished playing by the time you're 24 years old. Yeah. So what this kid has just done is they've lived their life dream and not even made it to to 25 years old already. Right. You know, everything is over. It's been either, you know, they've either been kicked out because they're not good enough anymore or somebody thinks they're not, or they've been kicked out because they got hurt or, you know, situationally, they're just not a fit. And so you've had your, your life's, your hopes and dreams have been ripped from you yeah. when you're not ready to give them up. And at the same time, you have spent no other time thinking about the significance of life outside of what you've been shooting for. Yeah. Um, and so, it's really, really devastating, man. The statistics are not good for still for NFL players that get done playing just within a few years of finishing their career yeah. are, you know, struggling with bankruptcy, depression, struggling with high div divorce rates and poor relationships. Uh, and I think a lot of it just has to do with not, um, you know, not being able to place themselves outside of when they have a jersey on. Sure. It's so much when you have that identity so tied to your, your sport of what you're doing, you, you become in this dangerous place sometimes of when I play well and win, I'm a good person. And when I, mm -hmm. if I play yeah. poorly and lose, I'm a bad person. Man, that's and it. 
And you, you, you definitely, you have, it's a dangerous wave up and down of riding that high um, where you have nothing that keeps you kind of in that even keel. And I can imagine that when you're on the highest of high levels, that it definitely peaks that and valleys it really, really to a dangerous place when you say about the depression setting in, um, right. if that's, that's where your whole value is. Oh, yeah, man. It's a, it's a slippery slope, especially, I think, like I said, the reason I think it's more amplified the higher you go is because you've been, because you've been playing well and earning your spot to keep advancing or whatever it may be, you have been in a way cementing and reinforcing the fact that when I play good, I am good. When I play good, I am good. See, I made it. You know, when I play good, I'm good. And so, you know, you kind of just start climbing up this mountain and then before you know it, you're like on the other side falling down. Uh, yeah and it's just a really it's a sad thing for sure it's a, it's it's a scary place it's a scary place to be for sure i think that it's it's a huge opportunity that every coach has with their their young athletes is to start working on that um to create some right. sort of clarity to say that yeah this is this is something you do because you love doing it but it's not who you are uh you're still a person Absolutely. and you're still gonna make an impact beyond this Right. And something that I think I've had a good amount of conversations with guys that, you know, now a lot of the guys that I play with are getting done or have been done for a couple of years now. And it's, um, you know, it's hard to figure out what you want to do if you don't know who you are. And that's kind of yeah. a whole nother discussion. But yeah. I think that one thing that's helpful for players to think about is, OK, it's OK to love something and be all in with trying yeah. to be the best. But at the same time, it's helpful to think about why you love it, you know, so. Yeah. One reason that some guy loves football doesn't maybe apply to the next person, but the reason why you're into things can give you some insight into the type of person you are. And so the reason that I love football, maybe it's the team atmosphere and accomplishing a goal. And so I can, I now know why I love this game and I can try to find my next situation or my next, uh, my next community or my next job that gives me those types of same satisfactions. And now it's more yeah. about the type of person I am pursuing what I like rather than if I don't make it at football, I'm done. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, I think that's a huge insight into that. Um, with, with the two things you mentioned of caring and, and trust, I think one of the things that I've heard discussed a lot recently, um, mostly I, I tweeted about this not too long ago, but just, Listening to NBA analysts talk about leadership from players on the court, and one of the things they regurgitate, and it becomes a mantra, that is just lead by example, lead by example, lead by example of guys that just, mm -hmm. if they'll work really hard and they play really well, guys will follow them. And I, I have a hard time believing that to be the full <laughs> truth. And I think there's plenty of examples sure. of guys who – trained very, very hard, um, but guys didn't want to follow those guys. H how does that ring for you when you hear that as a mantra they say all the time? Uh, well, I think it's a, I think for certain, for sure there's truth to it, but I, I agree mm -hmm. that it is a bit simplified um, mm -hmm. because leadership, I mean, there's, there's a reason that there are so many books and podcasts and, you know, conferences about leadership because it is a tricky thing to pin down. Why, well, when it's successful, why it works, why it doesn't. Uh, and I think that leading by example is a thing. It's important. But if you're talking, it depends on what you're talking about leading. Are you talking about leading the movement? You know, are you talking about 
you know, being able to carry a set of people from one reality to the preferred reality. I think that that type of leadership is a lot more all encompassing of different types of qualities and behaviors than just making sure I'm doing what I have to do. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, but I think in its base form, leading by example is probably the first step of leadership because nobody is going to listen to um, really your vision or your recommendations if you're not yeah. even doing your own recommendation. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely is a good, it's a starting place and a baseline, yeah. uh, but definitely not yeah. the end all be all for making something happen. Yeah. The, the, the term that always comes to my mind is just the dissonance of just the confusion between what you're saying and what you're doing. And it, it's hard for, yeah. for athletes, teammates that you're trying to guide to a, a promised land that if, if it's all over the place, they can't possibly follow you. So you got to have some sort of clarity to what you're, you're saying and doing for sure. But the, the idea of those relationships that you were talking about, about showing that care, showing earning trust from your teammates, those things go so much further. And I, I, I think that one of the people that I respect a lot was just Kobe Bryant throughout his career was known as like an ultimate competitor ultimate worker. Mm -hmm. He outworked every single person, but there were moments where there was disconnects between teammates that were played out publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you always wonder about some of those guys that are such hard workers that sometimes they lose sight of that. And I know for me early in my career, that was definitely part of the way that I went about everything was that put my head down and sure. I'm just going to keep going and keep going and keep on going. And people will start to follow me as we go. But once it doesn't start happening, I can't just say like everyone else is doing something wrong. <laughs> you right. need, you right. need to yeah. look at yourself and say, well, I'm doing that, but I'm, I've got to be missing out on some component of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, again, you know, leadership is cool. It's, it's fun to talk about the topic for me because um, I think uh, there are pretty simple truths that make it work. But again, it's very profound and very difficult uh, because leadership involves so much of the imperfect dealing with the imperfections of the person that's trying to lead, you know, and how that plays into how you affect a group of people that are looking to you. And so, you know, it involves so much humility, you know, so much uh, self-awareness, uh, so much, um, you know, ability to to, uh, what can I say? Like push away your pride, keep your pride at bay. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it gets the more capable you are of things. I think the harder it becomes. So there's, there's a lot there. Yeah, no doubt. From your time with some of your, your teammates that you felt like excelled as leaders, what were some of the qualities besides like that care, trust, that lead by example that you felt like they really embodied and it made them uh, like magnetic that like you just no matter what they're about to do you're like man i'm gonna follow this guy yeah right i think man for me the leadership trait number one that i want to see is honesty mm -hmm. um i want to see somebody that is not going to tell me what i want to hear or you know if there's a situation that's not good they're not going to try to dress it up or if i did something that wasn't helpful they're not going to dress it up i just want to know that you're being honest. 
uh, because that helps mm-hmm. me to trust where you're trying to take me, you know? Yeah. And so if I sense any way that you're wiggling out of situations or if you, you know, if the leader did something that wasn't exactly correct, everybody knows it. You got to come clean, you know, yeah. any, in any way, holding that stuff back, it just doesn't leave the air clear for the whole movement to continue. And so I think for sure, honesty was a big one. And of course the work ethic, like, you know, leading by example, that's just, that's, that to me is a given because yeah. I feel like you can't even discuss being a leader. If, if you yourself are wayward, um, allowing yourself to be wayward. And so, uh, yeah, those are probably the two biggest ones, honestly. And then, or I guess the love component, you know, I think yeah. it's a legitimate care for people. You know, there's no way to serve people with leadership if you don't care about how they end up or what they're capable of or who they could be, you know, so because leadership, you're guiding people into a place that doesn't exist yet. And you're guiding yeah. people toward things that are not yet real. So you have to be able to see those um, those positive traits and qualities and capabilities in people that just haven't yet come to exist or at least haven't come yet consistently. And so uh, there's a lot of like you really have to have a legitimately soft spot and a, and a kind eye uh, for just humans. Yeah, no, I think that those are great. I think that those are so much of that is so off of what I think some people will go for, for leaders, as far as the, the, sometimes we fall into just those old, they're really tough. They are strict. Like those are not the qualities that really these days athletes and other coaches crave. It is that, that love, Mm -hmm. that honesty, that that's what really separates a lot of the guys uh, that are succeeding at a high level with the guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's important to say too, that that's not that, that because of that is the picture I, I think is true leadership, that there is no place for, for anger, you know, or for being strict because those to me fall into the the honest category, you know, like if things aren't right, the leader should be upset. Uh, But it's the way that you communicate that if you're communicating anger, without being loving and caring about the relationship that comes out completely differently than when you're talking to a brother or sister, you know, that you love or, uh, just thinking of a family member, how you express, I got me and my wife talk about this a lot because I mean, I'm sure that you are, you're married, Steve, you don't have any problems with your wife, but (laughs) every now and then when we have disagreements, it's really helpful to remind ourselves that we're, we can argue, but we need to argue as if we're players on the same team, not players yeah. on opposing teams trying to beat each other. You know, yeah. we're arguing because we're trying to both get to the same place and it's not working. Yeah. We're not arguing because we're headed in two separate directions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things like that. But that that is that is still leadership. That is still being honest. And it's yeah. still it can be rough sometimes. And so this is not yeah. some naive played up view of like yeah. foo-foo leadership. I think it's I think it's legit real life. Yeah. And it's, I think that those components do carry over into the real world as well. When you're just interacting with others, it goes a long way. Um, when you, when you definitely yeah, have that absolutely. foundation of love, that honesty is much easier to hear from someone that you know is caring about you, uh, versus right. feeling yeah. like you're being judged by somebody. For sure. Yeah. So looking back, like there's so much great stuff that, 
you've experienced in your career now. So we, we went through high school, college, pro level. When you reflect on it at all, and let's say that you're kind of guiding yourself at a younger age, is there much that you would kind of change a, a little bit to kind of make that experience different? Do you think that every experience was important to where you got today? How do you look at it when you reflect? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I think certainly everybody that's made it to any any particular life stage could look back and you know, say like, oh, if I had known this, this would have been easier. But but I re I'm a firm believer that sometimes some lessons are better learned the hard way. Um, you know, and so whether there were things that I wish I didn't have to go through, I mean, I yeah. think for sure, but I don't think that I would have necessarily changed, uh, any of the challenges or any of the experiences that I had, because it helps me now to, to know that I lived it and experienced it and to either not make that mistake again, or either to make sure, uh, that I continue to do the things that do work. Um, do you know what I mean? And so. 100%. Uh, some, yeah, somebody so was quoted just yeah. recently. They said that, like, how are they so successful in business? And they said that they, they don't really make mistakes anymore. And they said, well, what allows you not make mistakes now? And they said, it's because I used to make a ton of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, as, like, as true as that statement is, is like, it's all those moments where we learn something that it mm. never really works the same if somebody tells us the answer to it. It's much more powerful Absolutely. if we live it. So sure. um, as we're kind of getting towards the end here, I mean, I, I love these topics. And I, I always would love to talk about these forever, but I know we, we have things that we have to do besides this. Um, what, <laughs> what, what would you kind of recommend? Like I always am, am curious to kind of pass on uh, experience to younger coaches, um, whether they're mm -hmm. sport coaches, whether they're strength and conditioning coaches, whether they're speed coaches. What are some things that like from your experiences being coached, that you would recommend to a young yeah. coach just starting out? Man, I, I think that I would recommend this. I'm the, the type of coaching I do is, uh, I do like leaders, leadership coaching, you know, like executive mm -hmm. style coaching, personal development stuff. And I would say that you, in any coaching, whether it's sports or working with people in general, do not sign up to coach. If you don't care about people, you just can't mm -hmm. do it. Um, uh, because I think that there's a way we can sort of separate, oh, you know, I can just tell people how to do things and then th they can do the specific thing, you know, like, but just people just don't work that way. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's this element of relationship that's essential for productivity in, in a team or relational coaching dynamic. And so if you don't care about the well-being of how people end up um and being willing, if you're not willing to go through the ups and downs with people and and treat them the same, regardless of how they perform and, and that type of thing, then coaching is not going to, coaching will fall short of the experience that you want it to be. Yeah. So starting out with some self-reflection is uh, yeah, a absolutely. key area. I think in the beginning, just right from the beginning, you know, am I, am I in this to work with people or I am, am I in this? to make some X's and O's work. Um, yeah. I think that that will save you a lot of on the back end of figuring out why you're so frustrated or why you're so yeah. fed up and burnt out. Yeah. That's a great point right there is the, the idea of burnout um, in, in this field. I feel like it is one of the highest burnout positions 
Mm. Um, and most people attribute it to the kind of hours you're working. But I, I think that that's a little bit of a cop out in a way that you truly just don't have the passion for what you're you're doing right. day to day. Uh, I know that Absolutely. I might have a, a pretty good engine for going through this, but there are so many moments during the day that get me back fired up and charge me back up mm -hmm. when I have a good experience with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lot about, and this applies to, I think, any field. When you're, when you're in a pursuit, when you're living something, uh, just a simple way to think about it, it's either going to be drawing energy out of you or it's going to be mm -hmm. filling you up with energy. Uh, yeah. No matter what that is, if you're built for it in such a way where it gives you energy, no matter the hours or no matter the demands, you're getting life from it. Uh, yeah. But on the other side of it, of course, if it's just draining you every day, uh, it doesn't matter if you if your job is just, you know, to fold one blanket every day. If that kills you, it's going to eat you up, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's really about a consistent match with just the type of person that you're built like. I think that's great. Uh, now, with with you, I know that you are a, you're a learned guy. You uh, you're continuing to, to, read, to read and learn from others. What uh, what are you kind of into right now? As far as your your reading, uh, you're continuing to to expand your mind. What are you into that you can recommend to anybody? Uh, yeah, I think um, as far as reading right now, I'm really into our uh, ability to make quality decisions subconsciously meaning like mm -hmm. without without logically being able to explain but also choosing well and so i'm reading this book right now called gut feelings and it's by this guy named gerd gerdzinger i believe and people may know like malcolm gladwell wrote this book a few years back called blinkist and i think it was about like i didn't read that one but it was about making you know really really uh, high stakes decisions in in quick amounts of time. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently Malcolm Gladwell got much of his research for that book from this particular guy, Gerd. Okay. Uh, and so it's just really about like how over time humans have developed capacities and, you know, things that are tucked so deep into our brains and our psyches that we can't actually name or put words to. But at the same time, we trust these feelings enough to live our lives by them. Uh, and so the reason I'm interested in that right now is just I realized that over a lifetime of being an athlete, you know, almost 30 years of being told every choice that I needed to make that was, you know, significant to my life. After being on the back end of that, I'm like, yo, how do I choose what I want to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when yeah. there is technically no right, no right or wrong answer, you know, how do you just pick yeah. something and feel good about it? And yeah. so it was just I, I felt like I needed to gain some more confidence in how to go with my gut and when to and why I should or, you know, that type of stuff. So that's what I'm reading yeah. right now. Yeah. There's, there's some really cool um, research, the, the, the idea of axiology and it's the way we make decisions. Um, and it's kind of like a, a threefold process, uh, really cool stuff. But yeah, it kind of just describes like how we, what our main value systems are as a individual and it reflects right. into every decision we make as how we view those decisions. There, there is no like yes. when you say like, is it uh, like how do I choose what's right or wrong? Or there is no right or wrong. It's just a choice. Like there's so much that actually goes into it without us even being aware of it. It's really cool stuff. Yeah, right. It's a big deal. Awesome.
Well, Nick, thank you so much for like, spending some time with me today. If if anyone's kind of looking to kind of contact you about some of the leadership work that you're doing, is there a way for them to best can contact you? Yeah, man, you know what? Um, email is always good, honestly. Uh, okay. My email is pretty simple. I someone too. My email is pretty simple. It's r the same as my Twitter, Rick. Yeah. Noach at Gmail, R I C K N O A C H at Gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, just shoot it there and you know. I would love to discuss to discuss uh, people's futures. I just I love being in I told a friend the other day that I'm working with, I love to be in people's gray areas. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, so just when you're not sure where you're supposed to be or go or how to get there. Uh th those are fun conversations for me to have. So I don't check social media, so if you've been hitting me on Twitter, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> you have one, but it'll never, the DM will uh, never yeah. come to it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love it. Well, thank you again, Nick, man. This was awesome. And I look forward to talking to you again soon on the, on the podcast.